You're listening to The Growing Season, a podcast from Arkansas PBS. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Cowboy humorist Will Rogers once wrote, the farmer has to be an optimist or else he wouldn't still be a farmer. This might seem a simple wrap-up for a Saturday evening newspaper column, but as with most of Rogers' writing, there's a lot of truth to it. Rogers recognized in his audience the persevering optimism that would sustain American agriculture to the Great Depression of his day, the mechanization of farming in the 50s, the chemical revolution of the 60s, and the industrialization of agriculture in the 1970s. The truth is, farming has spent the last century facing one gamble after another. And just like Rogers, the American farmer always called the bet with a wide grin and a little faith. Rogers observed to be a farmer is to be an optimist. His readers probably missed the threat in the message. But now, 80 some odd years later, Rogers sounds less like a jokester and more like a prophet. Since 2012, rural health care providers across the country have reported a 58% increase in farmers experiencing anxiety, with almost a third reporting diagnosable signs of depression. These doctors have seen an 80% increase in farmers seriously concerned over financial stress. It is getting harder for farmers to see the sunny side, and if to be a farmer is to be an optimist, what's the alternative? Well, Will Rogers said it first. They can quit. Since 2011, more than 100,000 farmers have shuttered across the country. Almost a century later, Will Rogers' dark promise is coming true. This month, our farmers will open up about the financial struggles of an average growing season and how the skyrocketing inflation of 2022 has only upped the stakes. We'll also sit down with Dr. Ron Rainey, the director of the Southern Risk Management Education Center in Little Rock, one of only four institutions like it in the country. The SRMEC provides information and assistance to farmers against a wide range of financial hurdles. The chips are down. Let's get to it on the growing season. Fahagan cattle operations like Fowler Bearden Farm in Friendship, Arkansas, every machine that runs drinks gas. As of June, the average cost of diesel fuel in the U.S. was $5.57, compared to $3.28 in June of 2021. That is a 70% increase in just a year. When every aspect of your operation is about covering ground, skyrocketing operational costs can bring the farm to a standstill. Reporter Hillary Trudell finds out more. We are with the Beardens in the promised land of Fat Boys, and though we are all enjoying abundant lunches, the conversation quickly turns towards what farmers don't have enough of money. Input costs between fuel, fertilizer, and knowing what feed is going to cost this fall, and chemical costs for weed control. Uh, fuel cost is probably the biggest driver, and it's a struggle for everybody because you know when you hear society say oh we'll just go buy a more gas efficient vehicle and drive less miles our tractors are not fuel efficient you want food on your table we want to put food on your table we need to cover ground to be able to do these things Mm -hmm. and those just aren't options 
and it's like, what are you gonna do? Not put up a hay crop this year? Well then like for us even, that's a huge chunk of John Michael's paycheck every year. Right. You know, and that's feeding our own cattle. That's feeding our neighbor's cattle. And there's so many other things you can't just not do it. And so now we're looking at people going farther in debt to be able to produce the feed. You know, we're not making any money at it. And that's a struggle for everybody right now. I've talked to several producers that have called me wanting to know about liquid fertilizer products. Well, the extension recommendation is don't pay for water. Because when you look at what you're paying for the actual pounds of nitrogen you're getting, you're losing money if you're going with a liquid product over a traditional product. Even when things are working as planned, times are tough. But today, things did not go as planned for the Beardens. Um, this morning we've made a parts run, and so there's another unpressed, you know, you don't plan on doing that either. And it's hard, but what do you do? Mm -hmm. So we have some hay customers that need hay delivered. We're picking up two steers that we had processed for people, and normally that's part of what has, we handle some of that delivery. We've had to go up on our delivery for hay, and that's one of the things John Michael gives me a hard time about, because he prices stuff, and I'm like, that's way too low. Like, we have to look at at what point are we losing money trying to help people. And it's a hard place to be because you hate to go up in prices for your friends and your neighbors and your customer base that's been loyal to you. But if we're losing money and we go out of business, that doesn't help any of us. It costs the Beardens $500 to fill up their equipment. How Just long does that last them? 10 hours. Um, roughly... 70 to 80 acres with both tractors going. Okay. With both tractors cutting and cutting a, a, a day. In years past, how much would fuel be for a day or two of work? Like this? Half of that? A third of that. 150. So. Okay, so real, real big difference this year. Right. That's, that's what's kicking our tail is we've had the same amount of money that we've always had, but it's taken almost three times more to do what we're doing. Rachel and John Michael rely on John Michael's hay business to subsidize their income, but today they woke up to rain. And so the way the hay process works is you've got to cut it, then you leave it on the ground long enough for it to dry. And once it's dry, then you come over it with a rake that bunches it up, then the baler can come over the top of it and turn it into a round belt. Well, it's got to have that drying time. About two days. And, you know, and right now when we're in early June, we're at that two-day mark. When we get into July, sometimes you can do a day. It's, you know, how hot is it, how humid is it, mm -hmm. how much wind is blowing, all those factors. So yesterday, it was still too green. If you bale hay that's green, there's still moisture in it, and it can actually cause it to mold. It can cause it to ferment. And when you ferment hay, if they take, let's say, green hay and go stack it all in the barn, there have been cases where those bales have caught fire and lost the entire everything because it can generate that much heat if you bale it too green. So you don't want to take that risk. Like yesterday, we're not going to bale green hay and risk losing it all. That's the hardest thing or the most stressful side of this because you're sitting here debating, well, do you go ahead and cash out one of your retirement accounts? Do you go in and dip into another savings or do you sell a group of cows? Do you move stuff around to make your life easier, but then you're taking away your earned money that you put back to you? You know, if you put $20,000 in a savings account for your retirement and it's, that's what it's designed to do, and you go cash it out, well, not only are you having to pay taxes on that money, 
but you're also taking away your value, the stuff that you've worked for for you, your benefit, your profit. You know, if you go in and you sell a group of cows, well, yeah, I can go replace that group of cows. That's fine. But you put time and effort and energy into that group and you become attached to them just to get you out of the bind. You know, do you, where do you draw that line? And that's the frustrating side to this because we don't have an operating note. We don't have, we don't utilize some tools out there. We've never needed to until this year. Um, and it's, it's tempting, but I don't want to have to take more loans. I don't want to have to take more debt where you sit. And yet, through the stress of fuel costs and busted equipment, the Beardens stand firm in their commitment to this most necessary profession. I'm a firm believer that regardless of the situation, all things are meant to work together for the good of those who love God. I, no matter how bad things seem, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's happening for a reason. We just got to look for that light. Uh, and one of the things, like, even in this situation, he was so frustrated when he came back to church because the other cutter broke down and this had blah, blah, blah. But you know what? That means there's 40 acres of hay there that didn't get wet today. The conversation of selling out of a well-earned retirement account is a hard one, possibly jeopardizing your future just to survive the present. It's no wonder today's farmers find it hard to be optimistic. Rachel and John Michael are beginning to sell directly to their neighbors in an effort to save money. In July, we'll hear if the farm is still making hay in the heat. Sharing the farm's bounty with those around you is the very backbone of Dogwood Hill's agritourism model, a model that doesn't always run smoothly and profitably. Ruthie and Grace have been learning and innovating for almost a decade now and still working to make a profit. It might take a heart for land and a community to choose to be a farmer, but it takes a head for business to succeed at it. Producer Jordan Hickey has more. It's about to be very quiet at Dogwood Hills Farm. Grace Pepler is heading out tomorrow for a week-long vacation in Puerto Rico, a trip that's been delayed for two years thanks to COVID. A longtime high school volunteer from nearby Timbo has reached her 400 hours and wrapped up as well. Finally, the two Wolf volunteers, Dan and Michelle, who've been with the Peplers for two months, are finishing their time on Thursday. It's gonna be really quiet here. <laughs> like, I'm not sure. Like, I'm a people person. I like to, my husband, he could be here for a week all by himself and not see another person who'd be thrilled. <laughs> I am coming back, though, at she the end of the week. Back, yes, but... <laughs> yes. So, there's this, like, electricity that's gone when there's nobody here. It's like, there's just, I don't know. Yeah, it's a yeah. different kind of quiet. Yeah. To compensate for the abrupt shift in manpower, they're planning to hire a friend of Grace's to help keep things going with the fodder house. Ruthie will do the milking and the pasteurizing and the food prep for the guests who are due to show up later this week. They hadn't originally planned to have guests, but it helped to have the income. Although things are truly idyllic here, the financial strain is very real, something which Ruthie explains when she talks about how her husband, Thomas, has a full-time job that has kept the farm afloat. Because yeah, we're not still in the black yet. So Thomas, really? yeah, yeah, Thomas is still working, you Great know, full time. Yeah, <laughs> he's pretty much floated the farm for the last 10 years. I mean, like 
since he's been paying all the mortgages out of his, except for the guest house that's paying for itself. But up until we started, yeah. I mean, we really like, we've got to figure out. So that's probably a conversation we had like four years ago, maybe. And he's like, you got to bring in some revenue. There's got to be money coming in. And I'd be like, oh, this will be a good deduction. He goes, we don't need any more deductions. We need income. I'm like, okay. So really, that, that really, that conversation really pushed me to like figure out a few, what else can I be doing? You know, what, and then we tried different dinners and things like that. So we did our five course dinner, could not price it high enough to cover our two days of labor in making absolutely everything from scratch. And, you know, if you didn't sell 20 tickets to it, you weren't making money that time. So like there was so many times that we had 10 people and we were just barely covering. There was bar times I barely covered my meat cost and everything else was like debt. But it's important to note, such challenges are not insurmountable. Although she's been largely self-taught as a farmer, since April, Ruthie has been taking an online course through the Food Finance Institute through the University of Wisconsin, focusing on values ads that the cohort of a dozen farms can bring to their respective operations, taking a close look at exactly how much money it takes to develop a product. Are you actually charging enough to, you know, on your products? Because a gallon of milk, what does it cost? So we broke it down, the fodder, how much it is per pound, how many pounds a cow gets. The time in the fodder house divided by how many cows. You know, how many gallons do you take from that cow, plus the cow is also feeding a calf. So you have to split that. So what we're paying right now for a gallon of milk is $5.78. And I think a lot of people that are doing the farm retail are, are going to find out that they're not making enough money to really pay the bills on it all. They're probably just getting by. And I think that's what a lot of the people in the cohort are finding out, that they weren't in a price range that they were making any money. They were just producing product and getting it paid for, but that was it. There was no like, oh, you pay. Oh, nobody was paying themselves. Ruthie says that putting a price on things helped them understand what is cost effective and what isn't. For example, even if they want to sell a gluten-free breakfast casserole, there's just no way they can expect people to pay what it's worth, about $27. So it becomes something offered exclusively to guests. It's a necessary calculus, one that can be applied to virtually any aspect of the business, from cold chipping to the very loaded term, grass-fed. Still, even though money is a heavy subject, it's not everything. It's far from everything, really. So much of what the Peplers do is about cultivating community while looking ahead. They're thinking about the future of agriculture and their role in making a more informed consumer. Because if you're educating the public about farming, it's not like this year it's going to make a huge difference. But if the more people that can educate the public about what actually goes into farming, I think you're developing over the long term a better consumer. We're so a society of instant gratification and the farmer's not really. The farmer knows how to wait. It's the rest of society, the consumers, that have to understand there's a process. So the more we teach the consumer, the better that happens. Grace and Ruthie go above and beyond using their farm and kitchen to help educate and inspire those around them about farming and food. 
When we catch back up with the family in July, the farm will be slowing down in the heat as Grace and Ruthie work well past sundown to get the chores done. With a mother-daughter team and a handful of rotating volunteers, Dogwood Hills is a very small operation in the grand scheme of things. Every farmer knows that with expansion comes more infrastructure and more cost. Darren Davis knows the frustration of a large operation. His struggle to get two crops planted this spring has him well behind schedule for his last 800 acres of soybeans. For Darren, success in farming, in rain or shine, comes one row at a time. Producer Antoinette Grajeda has the story. A flock of spindly white cranes pepper the marshes alongside Highway 85 in eastern Arkansas. The birds revel in the high waters brought of this week's rainstorms. The road connects Barton to Lakeview, where Darren Davis is not as amused by the persistent precipitation. With his grandmother's prophecy ringing in his ears, he worries more rain may be on the way. My grandmother told me 30 years ago, that if it ever rains on the 1st, it's going to be a really wet month. And I'm like, come on, Grandma. <laughs> I'm like, really? So I've been watching that for 30 years, and it's been very, very accurate. It's been very accurate. It did rain on June 1st and 2nd, which resulted in about three inches by Darren's estimation. It's only the fourth day of the month, and if his grandmother's prediction holds true, June could be challenging. So now this is when the frustration sets in, because we have about 800 acres of soybeans to plant, and it will not get dry. So it's, it's, we're at the mercy of the Lord, but uh, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's getting to be pretty frustrating. Planting in mid-June can result in a potential 20% reduction in yield, depending on the season. Despite the continued rain delays, progress is made at Lakeview Farm. Darren and his crew have finished planting cotton and corn and finally have three operational tractors. After continued issues kept one tractor in the shop for nearly three months, Darren traded it in for a newer model that cost almost a quarter of a million dollars. What's more, he had to buy the red case tractor from Mississippi. He couldn't find one in Arkansas. It was awful, but we had to do it. So now we have the equipment ready and that's what we're doing now. We're working on equipment and uh, we wanna make sure that when, it, when and if it does get dry, we'll be ready to go. Although planting can't happen today, Darren's crew continues to prep equipment because days off simply aren't part of farming life. Day off is, I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that is. It takes a special person to be a farmer. I mean, it has to be in your blood. It just runs in your blood because you work on average of 15 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, even when it rains, you have to prepare the equipment or fix all the things that tore up during the dry spell. Farming takes a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck. Even though the region has experienced significant precipitation, Darren's friend in Mariana, a town only half an hour north, has land dry enough for planting. His brothers just arrived to collect some milo, a kind of sorghum, and cotton seeds from Darren. His workers haul the large bags out of the garage and load them onto a flatbed trailer. 
Well, I like good, strong young men. One bag has a small tear. Seeds spill out during the journey to the trailer. Kelly, one of the farm's light brown horses who has once again escaped her pen, notices the fallen seeds. Mistaking them for sweet feed, she inches closer, but Darren chews her away. Move back, Kelly, move back. The spillage adds up as well. One bag of cotton ranges from $575 to $630, depending on the variety, while Milo is about $175 per bag. Inside their family home, Darren's wife is taking care of two of their grandbabies who are visiting. The proud pawpaw finds joy in playing with them, a welcome distraction to the stresses of farm life. That's pretty relaxing. Yeah, they, they're pretty fun, actually. They're pretty fun. They, they, you don't ever know what you're going to see or hear with them, with them. so, so they're pretty fun. They, they're fun to deal with. His grandson is getting ready to head home to Jonesboro, so Darren gives him a big hug before he leaves. <laughs> Be good, Papa. I'll see you next time, okay? To continue de-stressing, Darren plans to visit family in central Arkansas later today. We're probably gonna work here half a day, and, and I'll probably end up going to Little Rock to my sister's house and just hanging out with her. <laughs> Sometimes you have to step away. And uh, usually I have to step away and I'll go to Little Rock. I'll go visit one of my sisters and we'll go out to eat and hang out, you know, and, and take your mind off of what's going on here and until Sunday, till I come back. Yeah, <laughs> so then it starts over again. So, but I think we'll be fine. Uh, it'll probably take us a week to finish up. So if we can get a dry week, We'll be fine. While frustration is mounting with every setback, Darren is prepared to wait a little bit longer to get his soybeans into the ground. Even with his grandmother's often accurate yet ominous weather forecast, ever the optimist, Darren hopes everything will work out eventually. Darren Davis is indeed ever the optimist. We spoke with Darren briefly last month on what happens when a farmer loses hope and how Darren coped when he lost a neighbor and a friend to suicide. Giving up just isn't an option. When we find Darren in July, his tune will change as he finds himself begging for rain in the face of a drought. Managing a farm means wearing countless hats. Ruthie Pepler is part accountant, while John Michael Bearden's hay operation practically requires a degree in botany. Talking about the weather, Darren Davis sounds like a seasoned meteorologist. When your farm is the public face of a multinational organization, unique responsibilities start to pile up. Donna Kilpatrick relies on the expertise of her team and the culinary passion of her wife, Liz, to help keep things running smoothly. Producer Hilary Trudell has the story. On a particularly hot Saturday morning, we sit in Donna's kitchen and stare at a vegan feast prepared by Liz, Donna's wife, and a heifer employee. As we struggle to keep quiet about how good the food is, Liz shares her journey in sustainable agriculture. So I started 16 years ago when I started, um, I kind of built out the commercial kitchen for the farm in Massachusetts. Like they had done some cooking up there. Um, so there was sort of, kind of some stuff in a system, but um, really, and I was pretty young. Like I, I kind of knew what I was doing, but not really. It was very much like learning as I go. Um, and then we'd have like rotating 
residential volunteers who would do all the cooking. Um, so we'd have like they would work in the kitchen and the garden, and some of them knew some about cooking, and some of them did not know anything at all. So that was very fun. Mm -hmm. Actually, so I do um, cause marketing corporate partnerships. So I work with and go out to try to find new partners who want to support Heifer, like through campaigns or um, just kind of by give, giving gifts to support. Maybe it's like a certain project they're interested in. Um, and then they, you know, use that as part of their story in terms of sustainability and what they're kind of trying to do socially and environmentally. Mm -hmm. So kind of all like win-win campaigns that support Heifer and, you know, the goals. Of in between bites of the delicious meal, we asked Donna, a documented vegan skeptic, about how Liz has helped um, shift her perspective. I think I've become much more aware of the complexity of flavors with Liz and how different vegetables and spices and um, herbs sort of bring those complexities together to make a really incredible meal. I think I've said this before when Liz literally announced that she was no longer going to eat meat. First it was vegan, I mean sorry, vegetarian, then shifted to vegan. I sort of had an internal panic. Like because my conception of vegan food was just sort of maybe an impossible burger or constantly trying to find something you could eat. But the opposite has been true. It's been so abundant in terms of the variety, the colors, the flavor. Um, it's been incredibly enjoyable. So just sort of an awareness of a, a misconception that I had. Um, that that has proved to be extremely wrong. Donna and Liz work as a team using Donna's love of the land and Liz's love of cooking to further the mission and of we, Heifer. We love to entertain. And so um, we have found ourselves sort of moving into, my position's changed a little bit in that I feel like w one of my main roles at the ranch is to amplify the work that's going on here whether through speaking or podcast or this or what, or hosting visitors that come to the ranch. And this house and Liz's ability to be such a great host and the fact that she loves it, it's not, I mean, I'm not saying it's not hard. I don't have to do it. I know it's hard. Um, but just the love of having people here and sharing great food, um, that's been really wonderful. We're glad to see Donna and Liz well. They've just beaten a bout of COVID. We asked Donna about how her time off has affected the work I'm on still, the farm. I'm not caught up at all. I'm so behind. Like, I haven't finished planting cover crops, which is unheard of. I aim to do that. I mean, the starting, really it's, in terms of the frost um, cycle here, May the 15th, Anytime after that, I'm pretty in the clear to plant cover crops. I'm going to be planting all next week. Now, I do have some in the ground, and thankfully, these are they're cover crops that I could plant until the end of, basically the end of July and be okay. Um, but just in terms of what I want objectives and where I thought we would be, I'm behind. Um, and, to, and to add to that, a huge meeting next week where it's all hands on deck getting the ranch ready. So really, and the maintenance person being out with COVID. So it's been like covering lots of different areas instead of being able to focus on agriculture. Mm -hmm. 
And that's okay, it's part of working for a nonprofit. You do what you need to do. Donna credits her staff for keeping things going. They do 95% of the work. Honestly, I, my job is shifting so much more to interfacing with the public and more of a visionary, like where do we want to be in 2027? That's what I've been thinking, thinking about a lot lately. Um, in terms of hands-on animal care, I don't do it. And thank the Lord, we have the most talented staff that does it. So I don't even, I get sick, I don't even have to worry that the pigs aren't gonna get fed. Um, it would be very insulting to even think that with Christine because she's so on it. The same with Sam, the same with Lizzie Parker, who is sort of my right-hand person for cattle. And that's okay, I miss working with For now, cows, Donna is focused on keeping her staff and animals safe from the heat. So like our cows are good right now, they have a huge shade area. They have tons of clean water. Um, Mama cow herd is good too. They're in a, a, so I've just been thinking about these things. Pigs should be okay. They get anything over 70 degrees and they get a wallow because they're not able to sweat. So you have to provide like a wallow. Um, I don't need to say anything to Christine about that because she's probably down there making a wallow. Um, so chickens are tough. You know, chickens are out there in schooners and it's the sun beating down on them. Um, so we'll probably put in the misters. We put in misters overhead and it just sort of keeps the chickens cool. But mostly it's really the volunteers. We have a couple of volunteers that are just workaholics and insisting that they take it easy because I don't know that they're used to this kind of heat. Through heat and sickness, managing Heifer Ranch exacts a heavy toll on both Donna and Liz. To survive the summer, they'll rely on each other and their team. When we catch back up with Donna in July, she'll be taking extra care to keep her livestock out of the heat and celebrating the bounty of regenerative agriculture. While for some farmers like Donna and Darren Davis, the growing season has been slow to start, others, like the Nortons and Harrison, Arkansas, can't seem to move fast enough. Producer Jordan Hickey has the story. On a Friday afternoon in early June, Will and Rachel Norton are sitting out on the back porch, looking out over their pasture as they recount that day's ever-shuffling events. There was a cattle truck that came well before schedule, a meeting with a sales rep. They fed cattle at Will's uncle's place and they still got to wrap wet silage at Will's dad's. And so it goes on and on. There was also a flat on a truck, a truck by the name of Lucy. There's a truck named Lucy. A truck named Lucy. There's a whole fleet of vehicles with names. <laughs> Every vehicle we have, have has a name. Do you not name your car? <laughs> this, of course, begs the question, what are the other trucks and tractors named? Dumpy is the dump truck. Because um, we had a set. Will and my dad bought a set of dump trucks at the same time, and we had Humpty and Dumpty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we have uh, Rock, like a rock, the old Chevrolet commercial. It's the pulling truck. It stays hooked to the trailers all the time. And then we have... Uh, another truck named Frankie. I bought it off my brother-in-law. His last name was Franks, so I named it Frankie. Um, then Rachel's Tahoe is called Binky. The kids picked that name out. We don't know where. <laughs> Although the names are funny, maintaining this fleet isn't a laughing matter, and it isn't cheap. 
particularly when you're driving them across cattle pastures, and especially when unleaded gas is going for nearly four and a half dollars a gallon. You take a sixty dollars to $70,000 truck and you run it, well, I'll just say my last truck, I'll probably give the last new feed truck probably cost around $50,000. Three years into it, I was just asking them, one day up there, I wasn't gonna trade. I just asked them if they would trade and what it was worth, and they said 23,000. So, in three years, I had to lose seven, $8,000 on that truck. Well, if you take multiple vehicles of that, you have to make a lot of money in a year's time. You can't outrun that depreciation. So the trucks that I started using like that, I still like to keep a nicer vehicle for running around, but as far as beating the roads and stuff, might as well get something depreciated out. This gets at a broader subject, which we've circled but never quite broached, which is the financial challenges inherent in running the farm. It's not just fuel prices, and it's not just drought, and it's not just the high price of feed, it's all of these things together. Well, like right now is a very, very trying time. It's a leap of faith. Um, all the fundamentals are lined up for the cattle market to get really good. But can the economy support it? So we're buying cattle that the cost of gain is almost the same price as what the cattle will be selling for. The cost of feed is sky high, cost of fuel is sky high, the transportation of it all is sky high. Over the course of our conversation, Will runs through a number of the financial challenges they face, but also the ways in which he's made things work for his farm. Like how he learned much of his lessons being around sale barns, seeing what others did, and then drawing his own conclusions. It's a practice that's often put him against the curve. As a whole, I just, uh... I like to make my own mind up and do it my own way. A lot of people are sending bigger cattle to the feed yard right now, trying to cut the cost of gain down, but I'm still sending the same program cattle that I have for the last few years out there because the more days on feed, the better the meat is. You get paid for the quality of the meat, it's usually higher. Or how his understanding of risk is far different than that of the older generations. You know, that generation is in their 70s and 80s now. Their living's made, they can't, if they lose it now, they can't go out and make a new living where I'm young enough, if I did lose it, I probably got a chance of making it again or make a living. So, you know, they're at their stage in their life, they're probably more cautious because of that. And I'm still in the go get it mode right now, which can, get you burnt too. Ultimately though, in considering what Will says on the porch as our narrow window of time comes to a close, the through line is this. It's not an easy living, and the risk seems incalculable from the outside looking in, but it'd be hard for him to imagine doing anything else. The joke between me and a couple of friends is, I don't know what I'd do in my next career, because uh, if you didn't think you was gonna lose everything you own at least once or twice a year, then what would you do? Um, get a job for somebody that does it. Um, the guy told me once I was kind of questioning the situation, and I was kind of, I guess I, he thought I was doubting what he was telling me. He finally said, well, 
get you a few of them, put them in a pen and find out. You know, <laughs> it's, you just have to get started. You can't live off of it starting because you'll go broke. You just have to trial and error it. You still mess up, still mess up a lot. If you ain't messing up, you're not trying, so. If you don't mess up, you're not trying. Will Norton's skill at managing the investment and return on a herd of cattle is oddly similar to Wall Street brokers' daily grind of hedging bets and chasing profit. When we catch back up with Will in July, he'll be moving and sorting cattle through the middle of the day, a daunting task as summer sets in. For experienced guys like Will, farming is a daily gamble against the markets, against the weather, and against a dozen other variables with unguessable outcomes. You have to be a true optimist just to stomach the risk. But when the swings get too wild, sometimes the only thing you can do is step away from the table. Here's Antoinette Grajeda. A tall tree sways in the breeze over Riverside Specialty Farm on another warm summer afternoon. The winds of change have arrived at Larry Galligan's West Fork home where both he and his crops are entering a transitional phase. Right now, we're gonna hit a slow period for a little while. We'll, we'll usually we have a couple plantings of carrots coming out of the ground in June, but uh, June into early July is kind of a slow time. And then July hits and it's usually full, you know, summer. So that's tomatoes, peppers, okra, Larry is also transitioning in his career. He's been hired to work at the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture's Experiment Station in Fayetteville. He starts full-time in two days. You know, I decided I wanted it, and so it felt good, you know, like, okay, I got a job, and, you know, I'll have, you know, reliable income every month, you know, and then I don't feel as under the gun to make the farm perform. And so all of a sudden it's not my full-time job and it, I have a lot less ex expectations from it, you know? Larry enjoys providing local produce to the region, so he'll continue to grow crops, but he plans to scale back production and focus on less delicate plants. He still hopes to earn enough from farm work to cover expenses and some of his time. I've been working on this full-time for, you know, about two years and, uh, you know, I had, I had at least tripled my workload, if not more, but maybe barely doubled my income from it. And that's not, that's not good numbers, you know? And so, and you know, part of that, you know, there's a combination of factors for that, but I don't want to spend another five years trying to see if it works and then be, you know, almost 50 and still not have a lot to show for it. Although having another job makes sense financially, Larry was initially disappointed with his decision. I was kind of beating myself up about it. And uh, it's like, well, maybe if I try harder, you know, and, or maybe, maybe I just need to really figure out, you know, where, you know, you know, we were trying to get more efficient, but we really got to, you know, get our pencil and paper out and really figure out how to, how to get more efficient. It's just like, ugh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm much more, much more comfortable with it. But yeah, I kind of I kind of felt like I like I yeah, like chickened out and you know, didn't want to didn't want to do it or something and 
not chickened out, that's not the right word. But it was like, like, oh, you, you should have stuck in there another year. You know, but how many years are you gonna do that? Moving forward, the new farm strategy will be to grow a higher volume of fewer crops like beets and carrots. What's great about beets and carrots is you harvest them, they're pretty forgiving, and they have a long storage window. And so it's kind of back to that handling and storage issue. So we're gonna see a lot less diversity in what we grow at one any given time, but a similar volume. Having a plan and becoming more at ease with this next chapter helped Larry relax on his recent vacation, something he says he's usually not able to do. Larry, along with his wife and son, returned late last night from a trip to visit family he doesn't see often in Philadelphia. He hopes this calm will continue. Just trying to enjoy summer before summer's over, which it'll be over before you know it. Perhaps these changes will bring an enjoyable summer for Riverside Specialty Farm. Only time will tell. We'll continue to follow Larry's story as he returns to the office and farms part-time. Larry's voice echoes with equal parts relief and disappointment. He tried to make his farm work, but under the added strain of COVID, shipping issues, and an unhinged global economy, the daily gamble was just too much. The risks were too high. The rewards too thin. What more could he have done? What options were out there? Arkansas PBS producer Corey Womack sat down with Dr. Ron Rainey of the Southern Risk Management Education Center in Little Rock, an organization dedicated to helping farmers hedge their bets. We are back again today with uh, Dr. Ron Rainey of the uh, Southern Risk Management Education Center. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for, for being on our podcast today. No, happy to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity to share some of the resources and programs that we have to help farmers and ranchers. Absolutely. So what what is the Southern Risk Management Center? What's kind of the goals <laughs> of that organization? Yeah, so our tagline is that we empower producers to manage risk through education workshops that we fund through grants to help farmers and ranchers understand resources, strategies, or even just what, what's the situation, what's going on here with the, with the prices, what's going on with the supply chain. We've had it since 2009, so that's 13 years. Have you been there all 13 years? All 13 years. Uh, so I was co-director for, say, the first five, and so the last six or seven, I've been uh, the sole director of that center. I'm trained. I'm an agricultural economist. And so I work in business planning and marketing, basically across the board and across the scale from some of our largest producers in the state to some of our smallest, including a number of, of farmers that sell only at farmers markets. So now it's it's 2022. So what are farmers facing? You know, I mean, we're doing this podcast all about stress. And yeah. so I know these farmers are facing a lot of risks this year. So what, what are y'all kind of saying? You know, we, we just come through the pandemic, which on the ag supply chain created a number of issues because agriculture was, was deemed a critical industry so they could keep working. Yeah. But just getting the word out about that, uh, there's a lot of challenges because not all sectors, you know, adapted well. Uh, what we're seeing now is microeconomic effects, high inflation, which causes all costs to go up. But farmers are facing it increasingly because there's a lot of bottlenecks in the supply chain. So. So you have increased prices, but you also have some trouble even getting some basic supplies. 
uh, having to manage through those things, which is new things that you didn't have to think about in the past. You not you might look at a small percent increase, but now you may even have to wait even on a delivery of mm-hmm. fertilizer. So it's all of those things puts farmers in a unique place in that they are facing competitive markets on the input side when they're buying their inputs. They can't, you know, unless they're a large farmer, they can't go buy fertilizer and store it for six months. And and it's just not economical for most of our farmers to do that. And that's something that I think the pandemic really brought to light when you walked in and you saw grocery stores with empty shelves. We notice it here in Arkansas whenever there's a snowstorm. Mm -hmm. Our confidence in that system of production, processing, delivery in a consistent manner, uh, it all starts with that farmer being able to produce and deliver their products. It's new frontiers for us. We don't get into specifics of that at that level on the production side, more on the what does it cost in terms of trying to identify those sources and trying to help farmers understand what does that cost versus what your fertilizer costs, but then also getting some of the experts on the production side to make sure that they're using that, if they're using chicken litter, that they're using the appropriate levels and they're not over-fertilizing mm-hmm. so that they can be efficient even in that new system that they use. We're also kind of trying to highlight that invisible stuff. And I think I think somebody like you who's kind of, like we said, agriculture adjacent at least for 30 years, yeah. um, and something we've spoken about before is uh, kind of this weight of legacy. Um, you have a lot of farmers farming big big farms, and and their dads farmed that yep. same land, and and maybe their kids. And so, how do you see that kind of? No, it, it it it's added stress. I think the CDC classifies agriculture or farming as, as as one of the highest highest stress industries out there, and 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 part of it is that that weight of all these these experts that a farmer has to be, but part of it is a weight that my family's depending on on me, him or her. My family is depending on on me to provide for my family, but then you might have some children that that you're trying to say, well, we're trying to pass this farm on. Mm-hmm. The that there may be a big family that's now it's it's five families that are farming, mm-hmm. and all the intricacies of that. So if the business fails, it's it's five families that are going to have to be go out and search and search for options. So that creates a different dynamic. And uh, and you see it play out, and and at the end of the day, they're families. Mm-hmm. So you have all the struggles of, of family communication, and then you intertwine business communication into. It. What's what's the website? How do we how do we get yeah. in contact with you? Yeah, so srmec.uada.edu. So that SRMEC is Southern Risk Management Education Center at University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture, so uada.edu. Larry Galligan's Riverside specialty might not be one of the 100,000 American farms shuttering completely in recent years, but even as the West Fork operation moves from full-time affair to passionate side hustle, you can't help but feel something being lost. It was this sense of loss or failure, Larry Galligan couldn't shake after deciding to take the full-time position at the university. But it wasn't his failure. It was the failure of a system which makes success almost impossible for the farmers. Despite constant bookings and innovations, Ruthie and Grace Pepler have spent a decade at Dogwood Hills working their way back into the black. Meanwhile, the Beardens discuss the possibility of cashing in retirement accounts as Will Norton watches the clock closely 
for when it will be too late to keep putting everything on the line. So why do it? Why be a farmer? No two reasons are ever the same, but seldom are they a quick profit. Donna Kilpatrick is on a mission to restore the land. Darren Davis does it for his family's legacy. Think about that the next time you're considering the week's menu. Maybe buy your tomatoes from a farmer's market or your pork chops from a local butcher. It might be something new or different for you, but when you consider what's on the line, I guarantee, friends, it's always worth the gamble. Coming up in July, our farmers will be sweating it out as we speak with climate scientist Katia Diavola Fernandez on what a more volatile climate means for the future of agriculture. The growing season is funded through a farm and ranch stress assistance network grant provided by the United States Department of Agriculture and administered by the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. This episode was written and directed by Corey Womack of Arkansas PBS. Our stories are covered by journalists Antoinette Grajeda and Jordan Hickey, as well as Hilary Trudell, Omaya Jones, and Andy Vaught of the Yarn Storytelling Initiative. Our post-production intern is Logan Ingram. Audio mastering was done by engineer Tracy Prince. This podcast is an Arkansas PBS production. I'm your host, Ben Dickey, and this has been The Growing Season. If you enjoyed these stories, please review our podcast and be sure to follow Arkansas PBS on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.